0: always a little bit torn between expressing how we actually do things and expressing things in a very professional, staid, kind of conservative, not over enthusiastic manner. So maybe we can get a little bit of both. We have an acronym over here at ultra working and hello i'm sebastian marshall i'm the ceo of ultra working and run the ultra working podcast a little acronym has come into usage on our chat channels nfa which uh, stands for not screwing around um now nfa not screwing around hmm. um yes that's true i'm trying to be professional a little bit on the podcast um when somebody really just nails something, when somebody gets right to the heart of the matter on something, we're trying to uh, build something complex or invent something or you know, figure out you know what kind of algorithms we should set up for doing something, um, and it, somebody just really nails it, and almost unexpectedly so and very quickly, you're like, whoa, NFA, you're not screwing around there. So it's a, it's a compliment. You know, we're not, uh, it's not fucking around, obviously, pardon the language, I will swear a tiny little bit on this show. And uh, yeah, whenever somebody really nails something, we'll say, wow, not, not fucking around. But this kind of raises a question, is, is how do you get to a point where you can kind of cut a problem in half uh, very quickly? How do you get to a point where you can reduce a very complex problem uh, to its really core essential parts and then solve it very elegantly? And... I think this would be easier to explain and illustrate not on uh, data structures or back-end engineering or or algorithms, but explaining in a very simple context that we probably all have experience with, uh, which is through the lens of games. So a couple of years ago, um, I had the unique pleasure of uh, playing a round of board games uh, with a gentleman uh, named O'Shane Balloon. Uh, he's a, a, a former Googler um, and a startup attorney now with a background in mathematics. He's out of Seattle, um, and he also runs, or pre-COVID, he was running a, a, an annual board game um, kind of conference, like a, a cool one-day thing in Seattle, and I got to play board games with O'Shane, and I was like, I'm like, I'm a smart guy. I'm really good at board games, and then I got totally smoked. I got just annihilated uh, by O'Shane. Everybody got annihilated. He's really, really good. And we played a game that he had, like, never played before. I would never played before. And he just absolutely just figured out the mechanics of it and just wrecked everybody um, really quickly. And I, we're walking at the end of this. We, we played kind of too late. We got a bunch of food. We had a little little party, and a little board game party. And and he just wrecked everybody. I'm like, how the heck did you do that, man? And he's like, well, you know, this is an area control game. And, you know, you can look at this, see the board is stylized, there's all these harbors and provinces or whatever, but it's all graph theory, so you can see how far every province is from every other one, and you can kind of look and model where your units will appear on the board, and, you know, every, every area control game where you have your units spawn are all basically the same, with just a little bit of color and distinction for the unique rules. And I was like, whoa, yeah, that's true, isn't it? Right, so so the argument that that Oshane was making was that every single game of a particular genre is more or less the exact same game. Right, so you know somebody could create a variant of chess, right, um, where you had like more knights or there was like three rows of chess pieces or whatever, and and it would play subtly differently than chess. The the openers would not be the same. Um, you know, it would play out differently in the mid game and the late game, but it would play. You know, very similarly to chess, and somebody that was already at a, a very high level of chess play would be very good at this game. Um, you know, there's there's the various angles, and you know what uh, you know which of your pieces are supporting the other pieces, and you know your position and space on the board, and and everything else. I think this is really interesting, and I think we should pull up um, an essay. It's a wonderful short essay, and I really feel like the title of the essay. Um, gives the whole essay away, but I'll give you the, the title in just a second. It's short, but it's wonderful, but let me start with the opening of Eugene Wigner's essay. I'll tell you the title at the end of it, and here's how Wigner's essay opens. He says, there is a story about two friends who were classmates in high school talking about their jobs. One of them became a statistician and was, and was working on population trends. He showed a reprint to his former classmate. The reprint started, as usual, with the Gaussian distribution, and the statistician explained to his former classmate the meaning of the symbols for the actual population, for the average population, and so on. His classmate was a bit incredulous and was not quite sure whether the statistician was pulling his leg. How can you know that, was his query. And what is this symbol here? Oh, said the statistician, that is pi. What is that? The ratio of the circumference, and and the statistician replies, the ratio of the circumference to the circle to its diameter. "Well now you are pushing the joke too far," said the classmate. "Surely the population has nothing to do with the circumference of the circle." End quote. That's Eugene Wigner's The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Natural Science in the Natural Sciences. So, what's really really interesting is there are very very many different fields that look on the surface of them incredibly differently, right? If you think of a a brewery brewing beer and you think of a carpenter building houses, on the surface of these, these have very little in common with each other. A brewer, um, you know, is, is mixing things together and doing chemicals and fermenting the hops and the, you know, the water and whatever goes into beer and the carpenter is selecting good wood and putting up a house. But, but there actually are universal and common elements to anything that you do, right? So any type of work you do um, happens in some measure through time. And, and this was something I really learned a lot about and studied a lot with Kai Zhao, um, who co-founded Ultra Working with me. He's since left Ultra Working, but, but really one of the most luminous and important thinkers in my life um, and, and in my learning. Everything happens through time. And, and, and likewise, everything Um, going from an unfinished state to a defined finished state goes from some number like 0% up to 100%. So you can see the percentage that you're getting complete over time up to 100%, right? And if you're playing a board game, uh, like like O'Shane and I were uh, with some friends a couple of years ago, then there are winning conditions in the board game uh, that usually can be expressed in some sort of function some sort of variables um, very often when your uh, production of more resources exceeds um, the other sides uh, or or the rest of everybody else on the board combined you're you're very close to a, a victory point at that point maybe you get there a little earlier or a little later depending on the mechanics of the game you know, the board game Risk, where you're building armies to take over the whole board, once you're building more armies than everybody else on the board combined, then, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, maybe they get lucky, there's some dice involved in Risk, but once you're, you know, getting more soldiers every turn than everybody else on the board combined in Risk, um, including the cards, then, then you're on the way to winning. In Monopoly, once you're uh, producing more money around the board and have more property around the board um, than everyone else combined. You're, you're well on the way to winning. There's still a little bit of a luck element, um, which can also be modeled in statistics. And so you could look at this and say, you know, Monopoly and Risk are very, very different board games, but, you know, over time you're building up from the status of starting at parity, starting even in the game roughly, um, and, then, and then getting to a state where at some point, you have certain victory. In Monopoly, you have all the money. and Risk, you hold the whole board and have all the armies. Um, and, and, and you build up over time. And you know, your goal versus the opposition is to not let them get to that state. And your goal as yourself is to, to get to that state. So looking at this, right, you can see that a lot of things that are seemingly unrelated, carpentry and, and, and brewing, carpentry and board games, Um, have some things in common. Everything happens through time. So you can pick some unit. Is that a half an hour? Is that one day? Is that one minute? Is that one round in a board game? Um, Is that one shift in a factory? And you could say, okay, how much is happening in that shift? Um, How much is happening in that hour? How much is happening in that day? How much is happening in that round of the board game? And then how much are you going towards completion of the ideal state? right, if you look at an American football game or a rest-of-the-world football game with soccer and whatnot, right, you play a defined unit of time of the whole game, and if you have more uh, points or goals on the scoreboard at the end of the game, the game ends and you win, right, so you can see if it's a 60-minute game, if it's a 60-minute game, right, every Minute of the game is is a little bit less than 1% of the game. If there's a 50-minute game, every minute would be 2% of the game. And that's counting down to the end state. And by the end of that, you need to have more points on the board than the other side. And, you know, for carpentry, if you want to get a house built, um, you know, on some, some time frame, right? Then you have your time frame of two weeks that you, you know, want to get something built that's 14 days. Or let's say you wanna build something in 10 days. That means, you know, doesn't necessarily go linearly but you need an average if you wanna get done on time of at least 10% carpentry done per day to get the thing 100% built in 10 days. So this kind of modeling at the very abstract level of all the elements um, and how they interact with each other is actually possible between domains. And this is what I think is happening when somebody identifies and sees, you know, a really elegant solution to a problem is they're figuring out that the underlying mechanics um, of it are similar to other situations. So, you know, if you were trying to um, have, have a, a small party, you want to have 10 people to come, right? Then for every person that's confirmed coming, you've now filled up 10% of the people that are coming to the party if you're having your party. 33 days from now, you know, right, then you would need a minimum of one person uh, per, if it was 30 days from now, you'd need one person per three days uh, to confirm that they're coming. Now, that might be all 10 people saying yes on the first day that you send out invites and confirming they're going to come, or so on. So, this came up to me, Um, as as a point, because um, I am visiting Chris Natterer, who's a a wonderful guy. He's an engineer. Um, He studied mechanical engineering in in Germany before getting into business. He became a a customer of ultraworking after seeing uh, something that I'd written about, about time tracking and systems and things. A couple of years ago, he said, wow, these these guys seem good. Um, These these ultraworking people seem like they're good. Let me check out what they're doing. Um, He signed up for something and just gradually, you know, social call here and there. We became acquaintances over a couple of years and eventually, you know, with COVID going on and quarantines and whatnot, I said, you know, I could use some time uh, on the grounds with somebody that's a a really great thinker. So I I kind of posted up with him. So we're lifting weights. uh, We get together, we build some systems and compare notes. Um, We show each other which different types of sensors um, we use to, to model the body's performance. So I got a DEXA scan for the first time um, while here, Chris is a very big, uh, engineering guy, but also a very big physical fitness guy. He, he lifts a lot of weight. He's a, a weightlifter, very flexible, does some um, gymnastics things as well. So he's very, very strong, but also very flexible and, and nimble. He's got his health dialed into a very high level. And you know he has some measures and methods of tracking stats and data that he uses. Um, and I have some that I use, and we didn't all use the same ones. So we compared and exchanged this information. So uh, whilst visiting him, we went to a, a university. Um, And I got a DEXA scan done. So a DEXA scan will tell you your body fat, your bone density, and your muscle density um, in your whole body as well as in every single limb. And there's something very interesting stood out on mine. Um, On mine, it turned out that my right leg has 0.9 kilograms more muscle in it than my left leg. Uh, Everybody has a little bit of imbalances as to... uh, the, the muscle content in, in their different limbs. This is common. But in my case, I had a, a pretty serious uh, knee injury, um, about 15 years ago, uh, weightlifting with bad form. Um, and so I probably just favor my right leg a tiny little bit. Like if I'm standing in line, I probably just like put all my weight on my right leg and over 15 years, that's led to my right leg having about 11, 10, 11% more muscle in it than my left leg. So I'm like, Oh, okay, well I can correct that. I can correct that over time. Um, I can just throw some, some one leg isolation exercises in for my left leg and you know who knows maybe this will keep me out of a wheelchair in 20 years um, instead of just having this, this problem get worse over time. Likewise uh, for the first time uh, Chris showed me um, using a, 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 a ketosis monitor so you can take a little drop of your blood, put it on a strip that's hooked up into a device and it can tell you how much your body is using uh, ketones, fat uh, versus glucose. For um, for energy production, so like we're, we're kind of messing around and exchanging these, and we're trying to understand kind of the the ratios and variables, like how does this happen in the human body? Um, and to some extent, once you start to see the patterns, largely out of mathematics and the natural sciences, but to some extent out of you know other mental models and disciplines, game theory and engineering and and a variety of other things, you can start to see kind of the universal elements underlying something. So this is kind of what I want to point out, is that there's a certain universalizing quality that you could do to figuring out what totally unrelated domains have in common. Mathematics is probably the most straightforward way there. And I'm not talking about super advanced mathematics. A lot of this is just like the very like, most basic and straightforward tools in statistics and just having a sense of like, is this a normal distribution? Is this a bimodal distribution? Is this a power law distribution? Um, if some quantity is growing, is it growing linearly? Is it growing exponentially? Is it growing logarithmically? If you don't know these terms, you could look them up. These are very straightforward. They're not uh, particularly exotic. And then just like a very little bit of algebra, And having a conceptual understanding of calculus helps. If something goes to infinity, what's it stabilized at? If something goes to zero, what's it stabilized at? Limits. You don't actually need to be able to calculate them by hand. Um, The conceptual understanding is more important than the calculating understanding. And you can become quite effective uh, quite quickly at these. Same things with team dynamics and teamwork. Whereas, you know, a tech company and a basketball team um, on the surface are doing very different things basketball team practices dribbling shooting passing you know running plays playing good defense Um, they get their physical fitness up so they can play a good uh, you know a good full game on the on the basketball court Um, you know and uh you know in a tech company you're you know gathering skills you're understanding new languages and frameworks you're understanding the technological landscape and front-end and back-end engineering and devops You know, on the surface, these have very little to do with each other. There's some basic things like, okay, we have team members on each team. And those team members have, you know, some level of skill and we can get the skill up. They have some natural abilities and natural mental models and natural ways of thinking about the world. You know, in basketball, you want the tall person probably to play center and you want the quick, um, agile, little bit shorter person to play point guard, probably. Um, to use their natural abilities, and in tech, you know, some people will have, uh, their mind will gravitate more naturally um, to, you know, data structures and, uh, you know, setting things up on, on, on a back end and understanding how things scale and, and process data, and then some people have more of an understanding of aesthetics and beauty and like dealing with that level, um, designing interfaces uh, that are intuitive and, and pleasurable for a user to use, but you can build these skills up. Likewise, team members on a team, on a basketball team or on a tech team, are either healthy um, or, or they're not so healthy. They're either in a good place or they're not. They're either like bought in to what's going on. They're playing like a team or they're playing like an individual. So you could kind of abstract these, these elements. Lee Knowlton, our CTO at Ultra Working, um, was the captain of his track team. He was involved in athletics uh, when he was younger and he was a teacher. Uh, later, he got a master's degree. Uh, he got a master's degree in software engineering, but also took some time out as a teacher um, teaching languages. Um, and, you know, you can see, okay, is the student bought in? Are they confused? Are they learning? Are they excited about learning? Is the the pace and difficulty of learning appropriate? You know, you wouldn't want to teach a, a, a new, very athletic basketball player super flashy moves. You'd want to work on the fundamentals with them. Um, and then an advanced player might need a mix of the fundamentals where they will keep getting a lot of gains and benefits but also seeing kind of uh what's possible so so getting some you know really exotic flashy exciting moves uh, to get past the defender on offense or to uh, get a steal of the basketball on defense by cutting off a passing lane these like slightly more advanced things um, might both keep them motivated as well as add to their repertoire so you can kind of look for that universalization so the prompt for this whole show is that that Chris and I, we work a lot. We put in a lot of work and we we have a lot of fun and we do a lot of system design and we lift weights. We talk about sensors. We talk about technology. We're now also playing one to two hours of video games per day. And I've talked about how I I use video games to train mental models and skills. It's great because it's a very closed domain. There's a very limited elements on the board, right? If you're building a company or if you're doing art or if you're uh, teaching and learning in any context, in a university or, uh, you know, in an informal learning group, that's in kind of an unbounded infinite domain. You could do anything, but with a game, there's like limited things, you know, at the end of a soccer game, a rest of the world football game, you win at the end of the time. If you have more goals than the other side, that's a bounded game. There's still a lot of things happening on the field. We want to work on our physical fitness. We want to work on our, how we move as a team. Do we want to work on our penalty kicks, whatever, but it's, a little more limited. So, so Chris and I started playing video games a little bit, an hour or two each day. But the way we're playing video games, I think, might be very interesting to people, which is we, we set up a, a Notion area. Notion's an applications like a super powered Evernote that connects really well. No-code tool is what they're getting called. Um, this class of thing, Notion, Coda, um, and Airtable are, are all slightly different in this, this category. We set up a Notion and... Uh, what, what Chris and I do is we, we play rounds of this game, survive.io. Survive has uh, no E on the end of it. It's a little 2D shooter. It's fine. It's, could play anything instead. But what we do is uh, we play co-op games, us versus the field. It's a battle royale game, so you're trying to be the last people surviving. Um, at the end of it... And what we do is after every single round of the game, we take a screenshot and we debrief that round. So if we won, great. We usually don't win. We win about 10% of our games, which is not bad, actually, um, as a team. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good uh, for where we're at. We're already winning, you know, 2x to 4x more frequently than would be predicted if, uh, if it was just random. Um, but, but we usually don't win. 90 plus percent of games we're not winning. Um, We will take a screenshot of the area that we died and then we will write notes and say why did we die? And then we will pick on skills to work on right so like okay if we're like if it ends if the game ends Or if we get taken out in like a house area Like how do we move as a team? Did we just miss our shots? And we need to work on the micro and the the movement and hitting shooting better or did one of us not cover or withdraw or move better? Um, And then we're working on making every single element of our gameplay better so This is things like a full sentence, there is an enemy to the left, can get reduced to enemy left or enemy west, right? So we make the verbal communications a little shorter. Um, What do we do if one of us gets wounded and needs to heal? The other person needs to cover. How far away should that person be from us to make it so the enemy can't advance and take out whoever is wounded? So we work on these little tiny sub-skills, right? Um, And like literally every single game that we we play, we, we debrief the full game. So we play about 30% less games than we would. I don't know how much less fun we're having than other people if we're just like, oh man, let's shoot it out. Click, play again, play again, play again. But we're basically getting in deliberate practice every single round. And every time we play for an hour or two, we pick a theme for what we're going to do. Are we going to work on our verbal communications this round? Are we going to focus on succinct talking? Are we going to focus on playing faster? Are we going to focus on staying behind cover more? Are we going to focus on... Uh, putting our firing, so so we play on a team with two of us, right? Are we going to try to put focus on both of us firing on just one member of the team, consolidating fire on another team if there's a 2v2, right? And we work on these things, and then we debrief how we did them, right? And what you'll find is that these are, are kind of universal, right? So in basketball, right, being able to get a double team on somebody in defense where you can have two people Uh, get to defend one person, right, makes it hard for them to shoot. Now that person will then want to get out of that situation and pass the ball probably to his teammate who is open. We do something a little similar where, you know, we're focused on, okay, hey, if one of us is ganged up on, how do they retreat? And we get the other guy in to protect and so on. And yeah, then we'd like to sit and we draw things on paper, right? So the game and any game, can be modeled as a set of XY coordinates where you on the board. Um, it's very obvious in chess how your different pieces are on the board but in a very big game or in a soccer field or on a basketball court we don't think of the players as having XY coordinates but actually you could draw a grid over literally anything that happens in space and a carpenter could do this too and say "Hey, where did we move through this XY grid and it turns out that in industrial engineering where they're making factories go better and they're trying to be very efficient um, about not like having wasted raw material moving around, actually just charting out, graphing out how people move to the x y coordinates and how material moves to the x y coordinates of the factory um, can be quite effective, right this can be this can be quite useful and then looking at how time passes um, in a factory or in a online uh, shooter game or in a carpentry situation we're building a house or on a basketball game so everything happens through time so we can pay attention to time everything happens through space right so you can look at the x y coordinates Um, there's always functions kind of governing what's going on so if Chris and I fight 2v2 versus another team we have 100 health to start the fight each of us they do too we start with 200 health they start with 200 health their health should be dropping faster than ours for them to get taken out and for us to survive um, and win the fight. So I really think when you get these inspired solutions to complicated problems that are unexpected and really elegant, uh, it's because you're able to draw on these domains. It's not at all obvious that basketball or soccer along with online shooter games, along with area control board games, along with carpentry, industrial engineering and brewing um, have commonalities but of course they do. They all happen in time, they all happen in space um, there's a mix of calculus and statistics that accurately can model these situations. There's a mix of qualitative factors: morale, focus. Did you sleep well the night before, and things like that. And and by learning and isolating these, you can go from having mastery in one domain to mastery in another domain. So to swagger a little bit right at the end, you know, we were we're, we're playing games, and, um, and 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 Chris is in a in a wonderful relationship. Um, and, and so I've gotten to to hang out with with him and his girlfriend together a little bit, and she's like, "You guys say you're you're working a lot and doing systems. I see you playing games." I'm like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> that's not the case. No, we're we're we're." We're, we're we're not playing games. We're doing extremely hard, difficult intellectual work. We've got our notion files, all the breakdowns, and did we win or lose the game and the skills we're working on. We're trying to build a mental model of the game, a mathematical model of the game, um, a, a, a model of skill progression, how well we played. We're grading our plays and movement and things. And I totally know we're weird and grant that. But uh, <laughs> you two are playing games. And I'm like, no, oh, no, we're not. Totally not. We're, we're We're working really hard at this, which is actually true. And you know, and then I thought about this and we've been using this acronym at, at ultra working NFA, right? And it's like, hey, even when we're fucking around, we're not fucking around. And and I think that's not a bad way to live, right? Even when you're fucking around, you're not fucking around. Now, hey, we're analytical, take things apart kind of people. You don't need to reduce everything in life to a set of equations and mathematics for us. This is cool. This is beautiful. This is interesting. This is fun. We don't stress about it. It's not neurotic, right. Or anything like that. This is just a fun way to see the world and engage the world, um, that we have. And most people at the ultra working team has, um, and you know, Lee Knowlton and I talk about that and we use mental models from teaching, um, and from team sports and from track and from endurance sports with Chris, we use mental models from sensors and weightlifting and biochemistry. Um, and, and, and so on, and then we apply that to other things. But I think this is interesting is that you can learn these universal elements from even things that have nothing to do with whatever you're doing, right? That's the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics, Eugene Wigner. It's a very short essay. It's worth checking out. And you can kind of get to this point in life where even when you're fucking around, you're not fucking around. Soccer games can be understood um, in terms of X, Y coordinates, movements, a qualitative rating on how good a pass is, or how open the person was in the field in front of them. And, and again, you don't have to freak out and overdo it. You don't have to take the joy out of it. Not at all. If it's done correctly and you have the, 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 the type of mind that likes this sort of thing, which I think a lot of the people that listen to this show do, um, then it becomes a lot of fun. And I think, uh, you know, famously they, uh, The British said after beating Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo, you know, it was finally said that, uh, you know, the British won the Battle of Waterloo playing sports in their high schools and colleges, right? So this was a famous quote about the Battle of Waterloo in Wellington is by good teamwork in sports when, you know, the British soldiers that later fought in Waterloo, uh, you know, really performed really well and held out in very difficult conditions um, against the excellent French troops, um, that was attributed to their good teamwork and coordination, the universality of what they learned playing sports together um, on the playing fields of Eden, is what, they, is what they say about it. So, hey, even when you're screwing around, you can be not screwing around. Uh, that's kind of how we look at it, and I do think these things generalize and transfer so you brush up a little bit on the math, the underlying mechanics, you look for the universality and patterns and then NFA. So taking everything seriously. Um, I know we covered a lot of ground on this one. Maybe have a re-listen and check out some of the individual concepts. Google some of them, look at some of them, whatever you don't know. And then start looking for that universalization um, of the underlying mechanics and mental models with everything. It's a big part of what we do. It's a big part of our success over here. Um, and, and I think people that adopt this and start, you start seeing that Everything in the world is not a set of just individual one-off things that need to be learned from scratch. There are universals governing everything in the world that can be modeled using mathematics. So, you know, everything that, that goes from not complete to complete happens through time. Even if it's a fraction of a second, um, everything happens in time. Almost everything, just about everything happens in space, right, out in physical space. And that's very obvious in a board game or in a sports game, but now you can model time and space. But you can also model time and space in a hamburger restaurant or in a factory, right? Everything that humans are involved have a, a qualitative element of how well the individuals are doing. Um, everybody has natural strengths and weaknesses and affinities, and those can be built on, and the weaknesses can be understood and, and mitigated. People can be put in the right roles. So the tall person is playing center, the short person is playing point guard, right? If somebody's a very good, uh, twitchy, video game player where they can move their fingers really quickly that might make a great sniper. Um, if somebody is really, really calm under chaos, um, but doesn't have as good twitchy play, maybe they play very forwards with a, you know, a submachine gun or a shotgun and, and you can get in the right roles, um, in teamwork as you play, as you play video games, looking for these universals, um, that understand things, things like things happen through time. All right. There's a couple of ways to model that things happen through space. We put X, Y, and maybe Z coordinates, Z being, uh, up and down, right? Maybe we could put those on things to understand how people move through space. There's the qualitative elements um, and you know kind of the natural personality and dispositions of everybody involved. You can get in the right roles. And the qualitative elements, how's your focus? Are you having fun? Is this cool? Um are you dialed in? There's things like deliberate practice to get very specific sub-skills. There's things like communication and efficiency, right? Saying there's an enemy to the left attacking us. Is like enemy left counterattack is more efficient, so we say it faster, so we respond faster. Again, this is meaning that our response time to doing things correctly gets shaved off by fractions of a second, so that me and Chris rotate and shoot it out correctly um, with an enemy approaching from the west. So communication in any collaborative domain also is there. Um, And yeah, then there's calculus and statistics underlying everything. It's really the 80-20, the conceptual understanding of the basic calculus and just the most common statistical techniques. Like, hey, do we think this is normally distributed or bimodally distributed? It's all there. Um, And this is in engineering, and this is in video games, and this is throwing in a party, and this is learning skills. This is a soccer field, this is a basketball field, this is a board game, this is a shooter. Um, Not universally so, and you still gotta learn the specific mechanics relevant to the domain you know, cooking has very specific things about how you would maybe chop up the vegetables and if they're a little bigger, they cook at a different speed or if they're smaller, whatever. Do they caramelize or liquefy and you cook? So there's, there's domain-specific things. Those can all be modeled more or less by, by chemistry, by the way, uh, but not entirely. Um, and, and you wind up getting some sort of universal smartness. So in this way, I think you can learn a lot about life and get to a point where when you get to a totally unrelated domain, you could just say, okay, this element, this element, this element, this element matters, optimize for those, and come up with a really elegant solution quite quickly on something brand new, Um, kind of like O'Shane totally smoking us in a game he never played before, because like, yeah, it's just graph theory. I'm like, oh yeah, duh, that was an epiphany for me. I was like, wow, that's excellent, cool, universality on everything. So even when we're fucking around, we're not fucking around (laughs) over here at Ultra Working in our social circle, I um, hope this gives you a lot to chew on. I think this is a very interesting and joyful way to live. Don't sweat it. Some people are like, "Oh my gosh, the whole world!" Yeah, we live in a mathematical universe. It's fine. It's no big deal. You can get into. It's always been there, and it'll keep being there presumably forever. So you know, it's no hurry to figure it all out. Kind of look at it like a bit of a mystery, like a bit of a beautiful unfolding of things, and and you'll you'll learn more of it over time and get more effective. So I wish you the best, NFA, and. Until next time, thank you and Godspeed.